Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. Let's jump in. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 77 of Black Tech Unplugged. This episode is featuring William A. Adams, an award-winning DNI innovator, engineering trailblazer, and philanthropist. He's had a 35-plus year software engineering career, and he also was one of the first Black entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley with his company, Animation. So William is the real deal. And furthermore, he holds two patents, which you can learn about in the extended show notes on blacktechunplugged.com. So some more notable moments William and I elaborate on this episode is William's experience being the first technical advisor to the CTO of Microsoft. Don't worry, we get into detail about what that truly means and what he did in the role. Another topic we cover during the podcast is how William founded and has overseen global initiatives that revolutionize how underserved communities access jobs and build careers at Microsoft through the program that he created called Leap. As a co-founder of the program, which was named Microsoft's DNI Program of the Year in 2020, he has helped launch the training of more than 26 cohorts around the world. So today, a high percentage of Microsoft Leap participants have obtained jobs within Microsoft or other high-tech companies. So William is indeed a trailblazer. But most importantly, in this episode, William talks about techquity, and that's tech plus equity and also William's motto. So he shares the impact of having techquity and how it can impact your future. He also shares how you can get into tech and get equity before joining a company or how to obtain equity if you're already in a tech role. He gives very good advice around that, but I also want everyone to know he is not a financial advisor, so take his advice at your own risk. If you want to connect with William after this podcast, of course his information is in the show notes. And don't forget to follow the podcast on social media. Also, links in the show notes. And also share for your friends. This episode is very valuable when it comes to talk around equity. And so you want to make sure that everyone around you is growing their wealth, right? So make sure to share the episode and tag us with the hashtag Black Tech Unplugged. Now, before I let you hop into the episode, I have some exciting news, and of course, I need your help. So me and a couple of my friends have put together a panel for South by Southwest. Now, our panel is called Who's in the Room? The Challenge of Being a Leader as a Person of Color. The panel will be a deep dive into the challenges faced by people of color as we navigate corporate environments. We'll talk about everything from tackling imposter syndrome to addressing the impact of affirmative action reversals and unconscious bias. And this discussion is going to shed light of the often unspoken hurdles that we encounter by being the only people of color in the room. So where I need your help is I need you to vote for the panel. And I also need you to share it with a friend so that they also vote for the panel. So here's what you need to do. I want you to go to the link in the show notes, create an account, and vote up on this panel. South by Southwest luckily allows us to shape the conversation at the conference, so help me and my two other friends who are on the panel get there by showing us support by voting up. 
All right, let's go ahead and hop into this amazing conversation with William A. Adams. So let's get it. Welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. And today I am joined by William A. Adams. William, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm very excited to talk today about your career and all the mission work and thoughts that you have about the tech industry. So let's go ahead and jump right on in. Great. So first, I want to start off with your mission. So for those who are not familiar, your mission is, and I quote, to create something called Techity. Yeah. For Blacks and technology. So let's break down. What does that mean and how are you doing that? So techity is two words, tech and equity. The easiest way to understand it is if you look at the, I don't know, top 10 billionaires in the world, you know, look at the Forbes list or whatever. It's like eh, at least six of them are probably tech billionaires. You just go down the list. It's like tech, 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 tech. And what that means is that today technology is the thing that's driving wealth in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you want to have a leg up, if you want to have intergenerational wealth, meaning my kids live based on the work that I did, not just based on my paycheck, but I left them something lasting, I need equity in technology. Right. And by equity, that can come in many different forms. It could just be that you own Apple stock or Microsoft or whatever, whatever the flavor of the day is. You own stock. That means that as that company does better, as technology gets better, the value that you have increases. Right. And that's quite different from a paycheck. A paycheck, once you stop working, that's it. You're done. There's no future value in that paycheck. It's just done. And this is something that the black and brown folks don't necessarily understand because we don't usually play in that world of like, oh, I have shares of this and blah, blah, blah. So Techity is about showing people what that world is like. And whether it's owning stock, owning your own business, owning your own intellectual property, that's how you're going to create intergenerational wealth. So I'm on a mission to help people do that. And it's everything from how do you do a startup successfully? How do you do tech in particular? Because I'm a tech guy. So of course, I think that's the way to do it. And how to create intergenerational wealth, because that's what we need. Yes. And I completely agree with you. And I love what your mission is. And in fact, I want you to help some of my listeners now. So if anyone's Hmm. listening to this podcast, what are maybe one or two ways that they can start getting techity right now if they're working at a tech company? If you're already working at a tech company, it's about making sure you get stock, for example. And if you're not able to get stock in the company you're at, go to a company where you can get stock preferably a company that has stock that's worth something. And if you can't do that, it's like, no, I'm in the startup game. You know, I'm, you know, I'm going to get these shares that aren't worth anything. All right, buy stock. You're saving in a 401k probably because your company probably has a 401k retirement plan. Buy into that, right? Mm-hmm. Is even No matter what the small amount a month is, $100, $200 a month, buy into that and buy tech stocks. Because right. that's how you're you're getting an equity share. Even if you're working at Walmart, set aside $100 a month and buy some tech stocks. <laughs> Don't right. chase after crypto. Don't chase after NFTs. <laughs> you know, all that sort of stuff. That's gambling. Mm-hmm. But become an investor. And it, it's like, well, which stocks do I invest in? How do I do that? How do I get a Fidelity account and all that? 
follow your podcast, follow some of my website, and you'll find out how to do stuff like that. But that's the advice I'd give. It's like, start by just getting some tech stock. And now I'm curious, because before I asked the question, you were going to say that was easy. What did you think I was going to originally ask? Well, a lot of times people ask me, how do you get started in tech? And that's actually an easier thing to do. But you said, for people who already have a job in tech, it's like, oh, wait, that's harder. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, fair. But you know what? Actually, let's go into that question. So for people who are not already in tech, how do they get in tech and then in turn build up that equity? The first part of that starts with what is tech mm. and what does it mean to get into tech, right? Yes. Um, and today tech is everything, right? I mean, you can't turn a corner without hitting your head on tech. <laughs> so the key is, well, what kind of tech are we talking about? And what does it mean to have an equity share? Everyone has these devices, right? Right. This does not mean you have an equity share of tech. All this means is that you're a consumer of tech, right? Right. Apple makes money off of you. You don't make anything. All you're doing is feeding Apple when you own an iPhone. So tech is like, okay, sure, it's this stuff that you were all used to. This is obvious and laptops and all that sort of stuff, but it's also just processes, So for example, a farmer uses technology to survey his field and see where the dry spots are so he can improve the watering or where you should fertilize. Mm -hmm. He's going to use a drone. The drone's going to take pictures. Those pictures are going to be analyzed by some algorithm, and it's going to say, water more here. That's using tech in the context of farming. So to get into tech, I'd say, okay, if you want to be the person who's like using the technology, I'd say pursue your passion. Is it farming? Is it food? Is it fashion? Is it jewelry? Is it makeup? Whatever it is, there's probably a tech angle to it, whether it's on the sales process side of it, social media, this, that, and the other thing, or whether it's the actual production and distribution of the thing, whatever it is. Find the thing and find the tech angle to it, and then learn everything you can about how technology can enhance that thing, and then get into that. It doesn't mean you have to become a programmer. And that's what scares people off a lot of times, like tech. Oh, my God, I have to have a PhD in artificial (laughs) intelligence to do anything in tech. That's not for me. It's like, no, 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 no. Learn about it. Hire the programmer if you need to. Right. You don't have to be the programmer. You just need to know that the technology exists. But it, it just starts as simple as that. It's like find your passion. Here's how you don't go into it. Don't show up and go, I'm going to become a Java programmer. It's like, uh, you'll be done in a week. (laughs) You'll get into it. It's like, why am I doing this? What is this? I don't get it. It's not, I'm done, Mm. right? That's Mm. how you don't get into it. It's like, I'm going to get into cars and you start by picking up a wrench, right? It's like, (laughs) that's not going to get you into cars. Go watch a NASCAR race. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Work on a pit crew, you know? Sell hot dogs at a race. Do stuff around racing because that's your passion. Right. Don't go pick up a wrench. (laughs) (laughs) Wrenches are boring. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how you get into tech and that's how you get into anything. It's like, well, pursue your passion and then find the tech angle to it and then figure out how to use tech for that passion so you can get a leg up. Yes. And I really like that advice because I think people always miss that part around your passion or playing into your strengths. Right. What are you good at? And then add the tech angle to it. It is the perfect equation for getting into tech. 
and having those transferable skills. So really appreciate that advice. And I want to also ask the question, what are some things that you would point out from the flip side of what not to do when you're getting into tech? Don't leave money on the table. That's an important one. And I say that because going back to what about these people who are already in tech? At tech companies and most companies these days, when there's a 401k on offer, for example, and I came from Microsoft. So Microsoft, there's a couple of ways you can get money. You can get shares that are part of your bonus or whatever. They give you shares and you can invest in your 401k and they do matching, meaning I put in a dollar, they put in 50 cents up to a certain limit. It's like, max that out. That's free money. Yes. Right. And the money's going into shares of something. Right. And don't touch it. And what you do not do is do not go out and buy that $50,000 Tesla. Mm. That's going to set you back in the wrong direction. Sorry if you already have your Tesla. But (laughs) what you're comparing here is equity building, tech equity, versus burning piles of money. If you have $50,000 today and you don't, so you're going to take a loan to get the car, not only are you going to burn the $50,000, because the car is going to depreciate in value over time. It's not going to increase, <laughs> right? right? Not only are you paying 50000 for the car, you're also paying interest. So add 6% on top of that. Now you're up to $65,000 over the five years of that loan. Right. You just burned $65,000. Meanwhile, if you had taken the same $50,000 and bought Tesla stock last year, Mm-hmm. This year, you'd have $100,000 because it doubled. You could buy two Teslas <laughs> for cash today. Yeah. <laughs> if you had just said, hold on, let me put the money into something that's going to grow instead of something that's going to depreciate. So the don't do is don't rush out and buy baubles and spend all your cash and have nothing in the bank. Resist. <laughs> resist. <laughs> you can buy the car later when you're better situated, but resist. Save some away and then buy your shiny things later. Yes. And that doesn't mean you have to wait till you're 50, but I just showed you. It's like, wait one year and you'll have more money than you would have before. Now you don't have to pay the 5% interest. You can buy it outright cash. And we see a lot of people who get into tech. So, you know, you get a little excited. You get yeah. a little excited. This is the first time I've ever had a $100,000 job. It's like, yes. wait a minute, your rent's $2,500 a month. Uncle Sam wants their 30%. Your living expenses are high because inflation you don't have as much money as you think you do. Hold on, football player. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) What if someone's listening and they're saying, okay, this is all good advice, but you know what? I don't even have any clue where to start when it comes to stocks and understanding what that even means to get a stock or what stocks I should be getting. Any tips or advice that you have for them? It's hard to say, oh, buy this book or that book. Really, it starts with just learning a couple of things. Get a fidelity account. Mm, mm-hmm. Now you could call. You could say, "Well, what about Ameritrade? What about Schwab? What about you know Vanguard? Eh, whatever." Get a stock trading account. I say fidelity because it's the easiest, and they charge the least for your transactions, and that's right. important because mm-hmm. otherwise you're day trading and all your profits going <laughs> to whoever's got your account. Mm-hmm. So you get your fidelity. Go to fidelity.com. Sign up for a basic brokerage account. Now, if you need to understand what a brokerage account is and all that, go to their website, search for a brokerage account, find out what it is. It's just a place where you can now buy stock. You're going to put some money into that brokerage account. 
The first thing you're going to buy is what they call an index fund. An index fund is essentially a collection of a whole bunch of stocks. It's usually the top 10 hundred stocks on the market. And it constantly changes. Over time, and I'm talking like 50, 75 years, the index fund has traditionally returned 5 to 10% on your money. Okay. That's your baseline. You're probably not going to do much better than that, but you're going to, you're going to think you know better and you're going to start to just like, no, but I know. Tesla's going to double. So I'm going to put all my money in Tesla. It's like, okay, okay. If you know something, go buy specific stocks. But as a baseline, you at least start your portfolio with an index fund. There's like standard uh, S&P 500, for example. And you can just search within the fidelity.com site index fund. And it'll say, oh, it's these 10. And you pick one, you put $100 in and over years, it's going to grow 10%. Now you can say, oh, 10%, that's not much. It's like, but think of this. So what 10% means is you put $100 in today, you're going to get 10% every year. So in 10 years, you will have doubled your money. Okay. And what I also tell people is the absolute amount doesn't matter because it's all based on percentages. Whether you put $100, $1,000 or $10,000, percent is 10%. <laughs> so you put in 10,000, you're going to get you're going to have 20,000 in 10 years. Put in 100,000, you'll have 200,000. So the percentages are what matters, not the absolute dollar amounts. You don't care about the absolute amounts. You just care about percentages. But that's how you start. It's like go to fidelity.com, set up a brokerage account and figure out what an index fund is and put some money into that. I'm a Fidelity girl myself, so I'm going to co-sign Fidelity in creating that account. And I want people to also recognize, because I think a lot of times everyone thinks it's going to be instant money. It's not. It takes time. It takes time. And furthermore, it's all, it's a little bit of risk. Yeah. You have to take a chance on these things where none of us are mind readers. We're not psychic. We don't know which stacks are going to go up. Right. So also, but you, can, that in but you can spot some trends and oh, um, sure. know some things. And I, I invest in things that I know, like I know tech. So I invest heavily in tech. I don't know cosmetics, so I don't have any investments in any, but I, I don't do things that I don't understand. I don't chase after the latest. It's like, you know, Exxon is going up, you know, you better get in on it. It's like, if you hear it like that, you're the chump that's feeding somebody else. <laughs> You're at the bottom of the pyramid. Someone else is making money off of you, (laughs) right? So you have to learn how to distinguish between investing and gambling, Yes, right? Mm -hmm. Gambling is like, you just chase all this stuff. It's like, I'm going to hit it rich. I'm going to hit it rich. I'm going to make a thousand times. It's like, uh, investing is I'm in it for the long haul. I'll eventually have enough money. It's all good. And you're going to, you're the one who's in 20 years going to be like, yeah, I got a couple million dollars. And your friends are going to be like, how did you get that? <laughs> like $10 at a time. <laughs> right, right. I just have to highlight, that's the thing. Just like $10 at a time can make a huge difference in your life when it comes to creating equity and planning for your future. Right. And it takes some planning because, and I, I'm not, you know, here I, I'm what, 58. I'm not driving a hoopty and I didn't live an austere life. You know, it's like I ate well, I traveled, I have a family and we live good, but we're not extravagant. 
Yeah. My brother and I always have this debate. I have this thing where I, uh, called Finance Friday, where I do a rundown of the industries and the finances and everything in an email exchange every week. And we have this conversation about future self versus today's self. And sometimes I go, future self's got to make his own money because I'm spending this now. (laughs) And sometimes we'll say, ah, be kind to future self because, you know, he's depending on you. Poor baby. (laughs) I like that future self and current self. I like that comparison. Yeah. And actually, I want to go back for a moment because we were talking about chasing trends and you're talking about gambling versus risk. And previous to even that comment, you mentioned like chasing the NFTs and um, yes. So I want to get your thoughts around that for people who have already invested or thinking about investing any advice that you have there. Sure. Caveat. I'm not a financial advisor. So if you're talking crypto, I air quoted that there's only one investment grade crypto and that's Bitcoin full stop. Uh, everything else is either gambling or it's useful as a utility for some sort of thing, okay? I say Bitcoin because of its market capitalization. It's billions of dollars. That means there's enough there that it can be a store of value. You can think of it as digital gold bars. And and Bitcoin is like that. Now, it has its run-ups, and it got as high as 60,000 a coin, and everyone's all excited, and then it crashed like crazy, <laughs> right? Now it's down to 1920. A thousand per coin. So, mm, okay, very volatile. You could invest in that a little bit, but it's a long game. It's just like getting into gold. You might prefer it over gold because gold, you have to physically take hold of it or you actually don't have it. And that's kind of risky because someone can come take it from you. All right, fine. Ethereum is the other one. Ethereum is very useful because people actually run digital contracts off of that network. So it's useful in that way. You're not going to use the Bitcoin network for anything because it's too expensive. You might use the Ethereum network for transactions, but it is also expensive, mm-hmm. right? Like even just exchanging coins might cost you a couple of dollars it's like, or $30, depending on the, the network at the time. So then there's the NFT market, which is like the art market, except right. it's all digital. And that kind of market only has value as long as there's the next chump who's willing to pay you for whatever it is you have. Mm-hmm. right? This Picasso is worth $50 million. Like we're all starving up here. Can I eat it? <laughs> then it's not worth anything. It's mm-hmm. worth only what the next chump is willing to pay for it. Yes. That's all it's worth, right? It has no intrinsic value, we say. Mm-hmm. So all this digital assets, assets have no intrinsic value, meaning you can't do anything with it, right? You can't eat it. You can't put it on as clothing. You can't do anything. All you can do is wait till the next person comes on and says, I'll give you a dollar more for that. Mm-hmm. So now there's, if you step away from the word cryptocurrency and just say uh, blockchain, which is the underlying technology of all these crypto blah, blah, blahs. Now you're talking about a distributed transaction mechanism. And you can say, is there any merit in that? Is there any merit in having this ability to have transactions between people around the world in relative real time without getting these huge payment processors involved? Now you're talking about other networks like this one I like is called the Algorand Network or Cardano or Solana or, you know, there's a few. Mm -hmm. And now you can talk about digital transactions. Okay, now we can talk about can I speed up the home selling process because it's all digital? 
Can I speed up a bank transaction? I'm going to have something that I'm going to give you on offer up. Can I use the Algorand network to help facilitate that transaction instead of going through banks or the MasterCard network or whatever? That's all very interesting. It's nascent. It's up and coming. It's not like you don't know about it. It's like right. you can't just go, okay, I'm going to do an algorithm, blah, blah, blah. It's like, ah, whatever. Right. But as a technologist, I know the quality of that network. It's pennies per transaction, this sort of thing. So if you're thinking investing in this world, this digital whatever world, it's like, okay, Bitcoin is, is your only investment grade thing. Everything else is gambling. Mm-hmm. Everything. I don't care how good it is. It's just gambling, (laughs) right? Yes. So unless you understand and unless you're doing a business around the network itself, where you're going to use the network for its transaction capabilities, you're just gambling. So you could invest in a company that's using one of these networks to do something very interesting. Like there's some company that comes on and says, we do housing transactions and real estate transactions using a blockchain network. I'd invest in that because I know they're going to dominate the market because their transactions are going to be cheaper than everybody else's and way faster. Mm -hmm. So that's how you assess that sort of thing. Everything else is gambling. (laughs) It's just gambling. That's all it is. So you might as well just roll the dice, go to Vegas. And William, you are very knowledgeable about tech equity, the equity part and the technology part. But what motivated you to start telling and talking about this to the masses? Because when you think about it, I don't know anyone else who's really talking about tech equity, especially at the level that you're speaking about it. Yeah, well, part of it comes from just age. So I've been in tech since tech was tech. I mean, I was there for the birth of the personal computer. If if that just blows your mind. It's like, I have one under my desk over there, which is like this Commodore pet, which was like before the first Apple computer, yeah. you know, so the very, very, I saw the birth of the personal computer. I got into computers when I was 12 and I grew with the industry. I made my money at Microsoft. I was there for 24 years, but essentially I came to this place. And in case people don't see me, I'm a black guy in America. There's not a lot of people like me who've gotten as far in tech as I have. So I just came to a realization when when I was 40 and then when I was, I don't know, maybe 50, where, again, talking with my brother, is like I created this program to hire women and minorities at Microsoft. And it turned from a, oh, this is a thing to do to, oh, wait a minute, I must do this, Mm. right? It was was my civil rights moment, if you will, (laughs) right? Now, I'm no Martin Luther King. I'm not going to get up and preach. I'm not going to go march with the Black Lives Matter and all that sort of stuff but I'm a black guy in tech. It's incumbent upon me to share (laughs) each one, teach one, right? I got that lesson. So it's like, I cannot just sit back and go to the beach. I mean, I have a nice house. I get a lake view and all that sort of stuff. I can't just sit here and go, well, that was hard, but I got mine. So I'm good. (laughs) You know, good luck y'all. It's like, no, how did you get here? You got here because that train porter did their job that person got shot with the water cannons, that person got bit by the dog, that person went to jail, that person got whipped. Right. What are you going to do? You mean you tell me you're just going to sit there (laughs) now that you've made it? It's like, no, now you got to get down on your hands and knees and let people stand on your back. I just woke up. 
And I lived my whole life without being awake until 40, 50. And then because I'm an engineer, you know, I was like, ah, oh, let me write the bits and let me ship the code and blah, blah, blah. You're in your head. You're not thinking externally. But then you get old enough and you start thinking externally. And I woke up and went, oh, there's a job for me to do. So then I just really thought about it over about a year. And it's like, Tequity. Mm. Was right? there ever an aha moment that made you shift your mindset? Or was it just over time growing older? The real aha for my heart was a combination of being with my current wife, who is a very loving person, and it's all about family and community for her, who Mm -hmm. says things like, so why are you making all that money? (laughs) What's it all for? You can't keep, you can't take it with you. What are you going to do with Uh, it? Uh, So, you know, that's just a prick, (laughs) right? It's like, yeah, okay, okay. And then doing the LEAP program, seeing people get hired, having them send me the email saying, you transformed my life. Mm. And you just kind of wake up as like, oh, this is meaningful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Yeah, this code I'm writing is good. And the billionaires make more billions off of me writing this code. But this over here is going to transform a life. That's more than this code is going to do. So you just wake up. It's a (laughs) series of things. And then the final kick over the edge is... Something like the LEAP program, where it's like, oh, I facilitated the hiring of a few thousand people who wouldn't have been hired otherwise. They're now on a techwitty path, and it's because of what I did. And then you kind of go, okay, and now it's time to retire from all that and focus more on this. Because mm. you can, right? Yes. It's like, okay, I'm set financially, so what am I going to do? And I appreciate you say each one teach one, because not everyone has that same attitude, And I appreciate that. And also, I want to transition our conversation into more of your career. And you've mentioned Leap a couple of times. And you also mentioned your experience at Microsoft. So let's jump in there. So let's start off with at Microsoft. What was your original role? We're going to have to jump around in history a little bit here to get the full story. I started computing when I was 12, self-taught. My brother and I started a company in 1984. It was called Adamation. Down Silicon Valley, we did that for about 12 years. And I finally left that and joined Microsoft in 1998. Uh, it was because it's like, oh, I'm 30-ish. These are my earning years. Yeah, we've we got a company, but we're not earning enough. Mm-hmm. So it's time to go earn my dollars and a recession's coming and blah, blah, blah. So I joined Microsoft. And for, I'd say the first five years, I was you know shipping code and elbowing my way up the ladder and blah, blah, blah. And then eventually, I joined a group called Engineering Excellence, which was about teaching our engineers how to be better engineers. And that led to me eventually moving to India. Okay. Um, So 2006, I moved to India for three years to help build our India Development Center and teach the engineers how to be engineers. So all the engineers that came in from college came to me for the first five weeks of their life. And I taught them how to be Microsoft engineers. I eventually left that and came back to the States in 2010-ish, 9-10, to work on this thing. And as I was working on that thing and going through various reorgs and all this other sort of stuff, I just got an inkling. It's like, okay, I've shipped a lot of product. And I went to one of our VPs and I said, what else is a big challenge you have? And he said, well, there's this whole diversity thing. Mm. (laughs) And I said, okay, let me go jump on that grenade. (laughs) You know, it was just a whim. You know, it's like I'm looking for a challenge. That seems kind of like a good challenge that I could tackle. 
Okay. And I just ran around the company and, and said, well, what are we doing? It's like, we're spending just literally millions of dollars on programs, K through 12 and all this stuff, but not on hiring people. Mm. You know, there's this big gap between right. all this money we're pumping into K through 12 and actually hiring black and brown people, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So I said, let's, let's bridge the gap. Where are the women and minorities? Oh, they're at these coding academies. Okay, why aren't we looking there? Well, because they're not MIT. It's like, okay. So I created this program called Leap, because you're going to take a leap over, over the chasm, right? Yes. Uh, you're going to accelerate you. So I created this program because I identified, and this was built upon work I had done in India. I identified one of the challenges that people have is that the hiring managers don't know how to look at the talent. If the talent doesn't look and act like them, Mm-hmm. They don't know how to assess it. And it's like, you do not look like them, both in your experiences and your physical appearance. You right. are not them. So they look at you and they go, well, you can't be one of us. You don't meet the bar, the mm-hmm. bar, you know, air quotes. So I broke the bar. I said, forget the bar. We need to cast a net. We need to figure out how to scoop people up, not how to bar them. Right. Right. So we created this program, which is a 16-week apprenticeship program, essentially. You treat them like college apprentices or college interns. So they come in, you train them up on some stuff, you send them into a product team, they work on a project. By the end of it, the team has essentially had a a 12-week interview with them. They can say, hire, no hire. So that was the start. It was like, okay, let me just crack this problem. And then after the first cohort, two cohorts, it only took two cohorts, I went, okay, this needs to be my full-time job. The first cohort, I was teaching them, but I still had a day job. By the second cohort, I said, no, this has to be my full-time job. So I went back to my boss and said, I want to do this. And they took a risk because it's like, I'm a high-paid engineer and they still paid me my high-paid engineer salary. And they said, that's worthwhile. Keep doing it. And so that's how it started. And then after the couple cohorts, like I said, it became important enough. That I was like, oh, no, 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 this has to happen. And then eventually I, I got a, an email. We had a new CTO, chief technology officer. And they say, hey, do you want to come and be his technical advisor? And I said, yes, if I can bring the LEAP program with me, because I didn't want it to die. It was only like, wait a minute, two, maybe two and a half years in. Okay. Right. So it's like, if I leave it, it's just going to die. So I said, let me bring it with me. And now it's going to be sponsored at the highest level of company. Yes. And it's going to spread, which it did. And now it's on its seventh or eighth year. So that's part of my journey. It's like I was looking for a challenge. It was initially just a technical challenge. Like, how hard could it be hiring women and minorities? Just go (laughs) find them and hire them. And then it turned into a personal mission. So I want to touch more on your journey with Leap and creating that particular program and having it still be in motion. Do you know how many people you've impacted with the Leap program? Yeah, well, I no longer work for them, so I can't tell you exact numbers, but I can tell you it's a few thousand and it's worldwide. And while we did that, I was also able to help us get to Africa. So with the Leap program, the first ones to hire people in Kenya. Because it was the same sort of thing. It's like, okay, we have this mission statement for the company that was like, we're empowering every person on the planet to achieve more. And it's like, and you look at Africa and there's literally zero engineering on the whole continent. And when you say 
Africa, people think it's a single country. It's like, no, it's a whole continent right. of a billion plus people. Right. And there's zero engineering going on over there. How are we empowering anyone if we're not doing any engineering in their neighborhood? It's like, well, they'll just do what the white countries do. It's like, no, <laughs> they're different. Right. And in order to understand that difference and cater to it, you need to have engineers from there. And not just from their brain drain, but there. So we leveraged Leap to hire some people there and train them up and all this sort of stuff. Now that we have a few hundred engineers between Kenya and Nigeria. And then it's also in like Ireland and various other places. So it's long story short, a few thousand people have been hired through that program specifically. It's all run by HR now. At the time, it was me mavericking it from the engineering org. But now it's like a proper thing. It has a director and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Wonderful. I love to hear that. And, you know, creating something like Leap, especially at a large corporation like Microsoft, had to be a, a not so easy feat. So I want you yeah, to share not. with my listeners some of the lessons that you've learned while building up that part of the company. Well, first of all, you have to have a sponsor. There's no way you can achieve something like that if at every level they're like, no, 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 we don't want this. So at the very highest level, you had a new CEO, Satya Nadella, who's like all about values like this. And he talks the talk and walks the walk. And then I had two or three VPs below that. They're all like, yeah, gung-ho. And the reason they were like that is because they knew me personally. Like this one guy, his name is Jason Zander. Um, and then another guy, his name is Girish Bablani. It's like I had known uh, Girish for at least, what, five or six years at this point. And Jason and I had known for 15 years. We were peers at some point. Now he's an executive vice president. So he's like, oh, William, yeah, you're good for that. I know you. I'm willing to back you. Yeah. So the first thing is you need sponsorship. Someone has to be able to go out on a limb and say, yeah, you're good. You know, I'll fight off the wolves so that we can at least pay you. <laughs> you're good. The second part of it is anyone has to have enough clout to be able to pull it off. So I have a Rolodex where I could say, okay, I want some people to try this out. And they have to be high enough level that they have discretionary income to be able to pay interns because I said so. So I, I go through my Rolodex and go, you know, hey, Dave, we got this program. I want you to hire 10 of these people. And I'll go, oh, William, yeah, you, you're good. I know you. Okay, I'll try it out. So you have to have someone who has enough of a Rolodex with enough high-level people that they're going to go, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I trust you. I'll try it out. Then the program itself has to be good. <laughs> you have to be correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you have to have partners that you're working with who are passionate about it. So I had a co-founder. Her name is Chun. And she stuck with the program as it went into HR. And she was like the salesperson. Mm. I was the execution guy. And I also had another operations person with me named uh, Yolanda. So as a triad, we had it all covered. We were like a, a mini business, if you will, within Microsoft. So you could just think of it as we started a, a recruiting firm inside the company. And then yeah. you have to be political because you've got HR over there and you've got recruiting over there. Recruiting is like, you're trying to do our job? Well, you're just going to fail. You know, there's plenty of people who want you to fail. Oof. There's plenty of people who are going to give you arrows in the back. Uh, those guys, what are they doing? Who do they think they are? Mm -hmm. um, and you also have to get a funding model that's appropriate. Like I had to do tricks where it's like, well, I didn't get all my funding from one source because then they can cut it off. 
right. in a budget cycle. So I got funding across the company. So I was like, you can't cut this off. The only way this stops is if my sponsors fire me because they're not even paying for the program. All these other people are. Right. So as long as they're paying me, this is going to continue. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you have to be smart that way and understand the finance structure of your company so that you can weasel in something that's going to be long lasting. And lastly, it's like you have to have something I, I thought from the beginning, it's like I had to create a virus. Right. I have to create a, a social virus. It has to be something that once I step away, it just keeps spreading. Yeah. Right. And we said that each one teach one. This is kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, leapers that we hired in the beginning have now been there for eight years. They are now hiring managers mm. and they've gone through this program. So they're going to hire people like them. Yes. <laughs> and that was the same thing. The reason I went to Africa is like, well, if I want more brown skin up in here, let me go to the source. Now they've got a few hundred and a couple more years, they'll have a few thousand, which means that there's a few thousand brown people coming into the system every year. So it's like you have to play a big enough game. A lot of times if you play it too small, it just gets snuffed out. Mm, right? yes. And within one generation, it's just gone. It's like, oh, sorry, budget cuts. We don't need DNI anymore, which is right. exactly what's going on right now. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> But this program still exists because it's gotten past that hump. But it's now right. part of their culture. Right. Oh, I love all the advice that you gave because I think that's going to be helpful for that could be used from any perspective from a career standpoint, because like you said, you could be that one generation and it gets snuffed out. Yeah. But I really am happy that Leap is continuing to make leaps and bounds mm-hmm. <laughs> all around the world. And you have to have a good name. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That's like half of the appeal. Is that sales pitch of like the good name and like yep. be able to sell it? Well, William, you've lived a whole tech life already, but there's still more to there's come. There's still so. more. <laughs> so, what is in the future for you? Well, the easiest way to describe what I do, I mean, Techwity is the big umbrella. And I like to describe what I'm doing as creating the Motown of tech. And if you just let that sink in, it's like Motown, what the, that's singing and dancing. Like, well, hold on, it's about top talent. Right. It's about gathering top talent and showing them how to perfect their craft and go out and have successful careers, build companies and all that. So I'm just trying to create a place where people can look and go, I need to go there to learn how to do my craft better. Mm. Right. Here I am on on your podcast. It's going to go out. Someone's going to see it and go, I want to get in contact with that guy because I want to learn how to do that investing or how to do the software development or how to do the, that CTO TA role or whatever. And I'm going to say, come on in, Michael Jackson, let me show you some moves. All right. Now, ABC, right. So I'm going to, they're going to come in I'm going to help them. Um, and I'm going to have to update my, uh, my references to not include just dead artists, but you know, that's, that's what I'm doing and I'm doing it by example. So for example, I write this software um, that's uh, to be used for smart, smart city management. So managing all the devices in the city, where's the bus? Let me see the live, the stoplight signals, where are all the roads? What's the traffic light, all that sort of stuff. So creating software that is, just extraordinary. So the people look at and go, oh my God, I have to learn how to do that. So doing by example, that's what I'm doing. And during our conversation today and learning more about your career, 
you've obviously made leaps and bounds. You've made a lot of moves in your career. So I have to ask, because I know people are thinking as someone who looks like myself or you, they want to grow up the chain. What are three points that you can give them for them to maneuver successfully during their career in tech? Oh, three. Okay. Let's see if I can limit it to three. Okay. So let's start with you when you're early in career, Mm -hmm. you need to perfect your craft. A lot of people just job hop chasing after the higher salary and they get 10 years into it and they're really no better off skill-wise than they were 10 years ago, even though they're earning two or three times as much. So you can do that. And if your game is just to get a bigger salary in each hop, yeah, you can do that. So my advice is perfect your craft. Even if you're going to job hop, job hop to harder and better places and not just better salary. Go to a place because you want to learn something new. So that's the first thing is when you're early, perfect your craft. When you're mid-career, and I'm talking when you're in your probably 30s to 40s, it's about learning how to be a business person. When you're earlier in your 20s, it's all about whatever the thing is. It's learning how to use the tools. You're not that savvy about what's going on around you, the business and how it relates and all this sort of... So in your 30s, when you're mid-career... It's about learning the business and not just learning the tools. It's like, keep learning tools. You have to learn tools your whole life. So you keep doing that, but look up and look around and don't be afraid to shift to a different company, a different group, a different whatever. But your intention is so that you can learn more about the business and how things work together and how things are influenced and what's important and maybe even pick up some people skills and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then when you're, Later in your career, you should definitely be the one starting the company, starting the new group, taking the bigger risk. Now, you're going to take certain risks when you're young because it doesn't matter. You're going to shift around, but it's so you can perfect your craft. When you're older in your career, you want to not be afraid to jump outside the boat and know your worth and go, okay, I've been doing this thing for 10 years. You've gotten me to this level. If you cannot get me to the next level, I'm going to leave. You have to be able to make that bold statement and follow through, even though you've got the mortgage, the kids going to college, blah, 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 blah. Don't take a foolish move, but you do a calculated, intentional move. Right. Because otherwise, if if you're not intentional, you'll get 20 years down the line and you'll finally wake up and go, what happened? Mm -hmm. And then you're going to want to make the move. It's like, I'm too old for this. (laughs) You're done. You're baked. And then you're like, oh, man, now I just have to slave away because I don't have any skills, mm-hmm. right? I stopped learning the tools. Everyone's passed me by and there's new kids coming all the time. That's why I program every day. Oh. <laughs> I never stop. Yeah. So I've been programming since I was 12 and I'm still programming. I will not stop programming until I'm dead and gone, right? <laughs> yes. Have them, you know, God willing. So that's it. The three advices is early in career, skill up perfect your craft. Don't go out there into the world saying, I deserve this. Like you are not even perfecting yours, but you can't deserve a higher salary as a baker. If you haven't even learned how to bake a white loaf of bread, (laughs) right? (laughs) You want to get paid like you're making croissants. It's like, no, you didn't even bake the white loaf of bread yet. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to perfect your craft and every move you make should be about that. And we're ignoring the fact that, and don't buy the Tesla, you know, And then mid-career, it's about expanding your vision, looking across, looking up, looking out, and shifting based on an intention 
to expand your capabilities beyond just the tools. You now want to manage the pit crew and not just be one of the pit crew. And then by the third thing, you want to own the race car company. (laughs) You want to own the car. You don't want to be working in the pit crew and you don't want to be managing the pit crew. You want to own the car. So those are the three pieces of advice I'd give people. Excellent points. And definitely this is going to help a lot of people who are listening to the podcast. And actually everything that you've said today is going to help someone out there because even I'm learning and taking notes while we're talking right now. So I appreciate your insights and your knowledge. And to end today's episode, I usually give the person who's the guest the floor to give any additional advice or anything that they want to give before we end. So William, anything else that you want to tell the audience? Go to my website. So william-a-adams.com. There's other stuff there. You know, if I do any podcasts or speaking engagements or sign up for my newsletter or whatever, can do it all there. Okay, the last advice is, Don't buy that Tesla too young. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.